Welcome into Survivor Analytics, the show that gives you some real Survivor advice. We're all about real idols, not the fake bootleg ones like you might see here on Survivor 44. My name is Clyde. I'm here with my co-host and the voice of the people. We got Jack. Jack, how's it going? What's good, party people? I'm the voice of the people, and uh, it feels like they should have had some sponsored content in this season from like Michael's or Hobby Lobby with the amount of crafting that is going on in this season. There's so much bootlegging. It's getting to be a bit much to the point where I feel like there's so many fakes in the game that when there are more fakes, it's less impactful. But I thought this episode actually had the most interesting fake idol out of any of the ones that came before it. I, I completely agree. Um, I mean, we'll get to it, but, uh, and I've got a question for you when we do get to it. Remind me, but. Okay. I'll be on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, jump into episode five of Survivor 44. I actually have a question for you to start the show. Oh, okay. In the new era, the modern era of Survivor, is there a set episode count? I think there is around 15. Around 15, because it used to be longer. The last season we did was like 18, uh, right? No, dude, last one was 15. Was it? Oh, okay. I, mean, I know I, for a fact it was 15. I I have this mentality where, as the voice of the people, as the voice of ignorance on this show, um, I try to correlate number of days on the island to number of episodes where I'm like, oh, this episode covers days three to six on the island and so days three to six like if every three days is an episode and there's less days now are there less episodes it's around the same number of episodes i think each episode covers about two days because it's a pretty quick turnaround where they get i think one day of either rest or a reward challenge and then day two is immunity challenge and tribal council so if it's a way so faster pace than the 39 day season so it is faster, but what we'll get to this pretty quick. Uh, Carson, in his first confessional of this episode, which in the previous episode, we had the tribe swap. Uh, he has a confessional in this episode where he says, it's been four days at Ratu. Like, time can pass really fast on the islands, it seems like. But let, let's jump in. Let's, let's get to the action. Yeah, so I think before... The way we can treat this first part of the episode, I think, is talking about each camp individually and what goes on there before the immunity challenge, then we can hop into the immunity challenge itself. Awesome. So do you have a preference for which tribe you want to start with? Let's start with the turds. With Tika, your favorite. Yes. Tika is exactly how we expected them to be. They're the chaotic tribe. They are down to just three people now that Sarah has been voted out. It is just Jam Jam, Carolyn, and your winner pick, Josh. Yep. And tensions are brewing between Carolyn and Jam Jam after the Sarah elimination. Jam Jam tries to connect with Carolyn and rebuild the relationship, and she's not about it. She says, you're just mad that you weren't in on it, which I thought was really funny. It was so contentious so quickly, and Carolyn says something along the lines of, I had two people trying to tell me what to do, and I don't like that. She has this whole rampage where she talks about she feels like she is what am i gonna do if you feel like being shushed and like be the third turd she feels like she's the third turd and uh just a wild thing to say is that a phrase is that a she's from what minnesota is that like a local 
idiom. No, it's not a phrase. It's the same thing as wearing two different shoes. These are phrases that Carolyn just speaks into existence and we're supposed to just nod along and agree with. Yeah. And, and then the only other quote I had from her here, uh, at one point they're kind of sitting around the campfire because it gets very contentious between the two of them. And Josh is just kind of in the middle and Carolyn goes, this sucks. Carolyn created the situation. And then when she's sitting in it is like, oh, this is a bummer, man. See how it's awkward though. With just three people, that's so, like, I think if you have a tribe of 10 and there's some contention there, it's easier to hide. With just three people, I agree, it sucks. Yeah, um, but that's all I have at this camp. What do you have? Yeah, I got a couple things here. So, Carolyn's in this spot now where she just aligned with Josh in the previous episode, but she doesn't seem too set on that alliance. And she has this confessional where she says that, Playing with Josh would be better for her long-term game, but she has this emotional connection to Jam Jam. If you were in Carolyn's spot, which way would you go? Josh. 100% Josh. Aligning with Josh? Absolutely aligning with Josh. Because Jam Jam, all Jam Jam has, and obviously Carolyn doesn't necessarily, I don't think Carolyn knows this at this point, but all Jam Jam has to the other tribes is the rumor that Carson has been spreading that Jam Jam is the mastermind, right? As soon as Carson left, he starts talking about that. Uh, so that's all she gets there. And what she thinks she could get with Josh is A, a strong individual competitor, and B, a chance of, you know, no matter what the chance is, it's infinity times better than the chance Jam Jam has of bringing in uh, other members to their alliance from a previous tribe, right? Yeah. Uh, Josh's other bonds may not be strong, and obviously they his tribe was talking about voting him out before the swap, but there's brand recognition there where, where Jam Jam just doesn't have that, right? Is there any reason to stick with Jam Jam? If she has to pick one, which she doesn't really, if she had to pick one, why would she pick Jam Jam? I think is a better question. I think the benefit of going with jam jam is the fact that there's a history there so she's known jam jam longer she probably has a better read on him and can tell when he's telling the truth when he's lying yeah and she doesn't know this but jam jam doesn't have anything in his pocket he doesn't have an idol he doesn't have advantage it feels like he's one of the few players in this game that doesn't have anything right so there could be some benefit there in aligning with someone that doesn't have any powerful items to use against her but she she doesn't know that I think it's mainly the history that they built together. And there is a worry that if she aligns with Josh, there is potential for Josh to rope Carolyn into the Soka tribe at the merge. But there's also uh-huh. potential that Josh just abandons her and runs with the bigger numbers and targets her. That's fair. That's very fair. I mean, I, I would. You Well, of course you would. Um, <laughs> another thing that we see at this Tika tribe is Josh and Jam Jam rebuild their relationship. They're initially at odds following the Sarah elimination and Josh straight up tells Jam Jam that Jam Jam lost his trust, which is a bold move and a pretty bad move in my opinion. Like what's the benefit of burning that bridge so quickly? But two minutes later, they rebuild it. Yes. Yes, they do. They have a very nice conversation, like a nice heart to heart that, you know, whenever these things happen, I mean, I don't especially come to this show for the emotional components 
Like that's been made abundantly clear through the podcast. You see these people as pawns in a game. They are chess pieces and I want to watch them dance. That's it. Uh, (laughs) And so when I I watch these moments, part of my brain goes, oh, the producers are behind the camera fist bumping because now they know, you know, here's two minutes of footage, right? That's going to be nice and heartfelt and make people love these two people. Viewers love these two people. But this was a genuinely sweet conversation about, you know, how they have each individually dealt with their queer identities and coming out to their families or not. And was really kind of sweet and made me feel kind of bad for how actively I'm rooting against anyone wearing purple at this point. Like, I have no love for any of them uh, at, at this stage, which is not kind of me, I know. But uh, it was a nice moment. And it felt like my gut instinct is this is a bond they will carry forward. But then I have a little voice in my head and his name is Clyde. And that voice goes, no, this is going to be a nice moment that doesn't carry forward at all. They will still betray each other. I like this moment, one, because it's just a cute moment between them learning about these people's backstories. But it didn't feel like something that the show just inserted in there without reason. Like this Mm -hmm. actually has implications for the game because after this conversation, Josh and Jam Jam are now aligned. Right. Josh is pushing that they need to vote out Carolyn at their next tribal council. So that's why I liked it. It was a genuine moment between two players that was actually significant within the context of the show. Yes. The other thing I want to throw out from this conversation, I have something I want to throw out from this conversation and then something else from Tika before we go to another camp. Um, First, also in this conversation, Josh tells Jam Jam he has another idol. He shows him the paper... Yeah, not the idol itself, just the paper. I think he's made it at this point, right? He's made his fake. Yes. Yeah, he. it's actually fake that he's made from tree mail. Because the fake is so bad, and I think he knows it's bad, that he doesn't show it. He says, it's in my pocket, here's the paper. Stupid. Uh, I mean, like, if I'm Jam Jam, I want to see it, because the paper doesn't mean anything, knowing he had another idol, knowing Josh had another idol. But he's... He does establish that at this conversation. Well, I want to give Jam Jam credit here because he went from last tribal council being on the outside of the Sarah boat to now it looks like he's in the middle between Carolyn and Josh. Yeah. He's positioned himself from being on the outside to in the power seat. As I like to call it, the prettiest girl at the party. Oh, of course. The prettiest girl at the party. Yeah. And you hit on this a little bit, but regardless of what happens later in this episode with the fake idol... Do you like the original idea of crafting the fake? Is holding two immunity idols at once a believable lie that Josh could tell? Here's the thing. There's somebody else who has fallen for the fake and has two on the island right now. Jamie is over in Soka having the time of her life. You know, I mean, she's just going... It happened. I have a magic wand. And so when I go... Things happen... So Jamie's got the magic wand. Bring things happen. She's got a fake that was convincing enough that she fell for it. And she also has a real one, right? So the narrative works in that sense. And shout out to Matthew for his craftsmanship. Because when we do see Josh's fake versus the one Matthew made and gave to Jamie, the quality level does not match up. So I think the narrative totally hinges on craftsmanship. I don't think it was as much about how well he made it. It just seemed a little forced where he talks about having this fake idol 
pretty quick after the previous tribal council. I think if you're going to bring up that lie, you want to bring it up closer to tribal so people don't have as much time to scheme and ask to see the idol. But he gives everybody a couple days to really think about this and gnaw on it. Yeah, they really get to marinate on this reality and be like, hmm, I wonder if that's true. That's a very good point. It's even riskier considering that he's already shown Carolyn that exact set of paperwork 24 hours earlier. So he's showing that paperwork to James Jim, hoping that it never gets cross-referenced in the long run. So it could easily go back and bite him in the butt. It felt like an unnecessary move. I think Josh could have navigated this situation without a fake idol and just tried to create a division from his social connections. I think that's very fair. And I think what is happening is a narrative is coming together about Josh for me. He's not a good liar. Yeah, he's a bad liar. He might be the worst liar on this season. (laughs) So not only is he a bad liar, but his bad lying completely manifests as... um, He jumps the gun on every lie he tells. He lies preemptively when he should be lying to cover his own ass, right? Like when he gets to Tika, he's like, oh, guys, I'm a physical therapist. Nobody asked. No. Well, actually, somebody did ask. No, he's a personal trainer. There's a difference. Right. right. A physical therapist actually would have been a better lie than than a personal (laughs) trainer. Because that would have accounted for some of the years of schooling that didn't make sense in his timeline. It still wouldn't have worked out, but he had an 11-year gap. At least if he said he was a physical therapist, he would account for some of those years. You know what? Maybe he got the acronym mixed up. He's like, oh, I'm a PT. And then somebody said, what kind of PT? And he goes, personal trainer. Wait, crap. I can't take it back now. (laughs) Here's a question for you. You're in dental school. Uh, who would I rather see if I was in a medical emergency, a podiatrist or a dentist? I kind of feel like it would be dentist. Oh, I'd pick a podiatrist. Podiatrists go through four years med school, then they do all the residency afterwards. Uh, dentist can help you only if it's like a injury from the neck up. Everything else, a podiatrist will probably be better for you. I mean, what is the body if not one large foot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably another saying that Carolyn will come up with at some point this season. <laughs> so so uh, I have one more point to hit on before we leave Tika. So I don't know if you noticed, listeners at home, but I have a soundboard now. I can play sound effects. And we I went through and was pulling some clips from, this, from the uh, previous couple of episodes. And I started watching the extras, things that didn't make it into the show but did make it onto Paramount. And I found a pretty funny one where Jam Jam, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny, where Jam Jam kind of singes his buff. He drops it into the fire and it gets a little hole in it. And this man has a full on breakdown. He's sobbing. It's his buff, right? And he's treasuring it. But it's not like charred to a crisp. There's a tiny hole in it. Like the camera has to adjust multiple times before the viewer can see the damage. I mean, we'll come back to this. Um... As Matthew is struggling with his pain, Matthew is not as upset about his potentially career-ending injury as Jam Jam is about a little hole. That's not the clip I want to talk about, though. I need to go and watch this clip. You're you're really hyping this one up. Okay. It's worth watching because it's like, man, I I get being on the islands emotional, but calm down. Um, the clip I want to talk about is Josh. And uh, it's a confessional from Josh that... I was really happy to see. And this is about eight seconds long, so just take a listen. 
So going into this next challenge with Tika, I'm worried. They've not been winning challenges at all, but I have no other choice but to be positive. Josh, finally, this is the first time we have gotten an acknowledgement from anyone on Tika that they're not good at challenges. The narrative around Tika has been so focused on personal dynamic and not on challenges. And I know, I know that Clyde is going to say that challenges aren't all that matter, but there are three people on Tika and like seven on Soka, right? So it does matter to a degree. That math isn't quite right. I can see you doing it in your it's head, Clyde. It's not seven. They start with six. So it's a Clyde guarantee that they do not have seven. Soka is so good at challenges, they got a bonus. It just made me feel really good to see that at least somebody on Tika is thinking about challenges. And it's the guy who got swapped into Tika. He's thinking about challenges, but he's hypocritical. He just voted out Sarah, who is probably their second best challenge performer. If he really cared about challenges, he would have worked with Carolyn last episode, played the idol, and voted out Jam Jam. Josh is all cool with complaining about challenge performance and confessional, but when it comes time to put pen to parchment, then he falls back on to what I've been saying this whole time in the personal relationships. Here's the thing. Josh is... In the last episode, he was still testing the water. He was still figuring out the dynamics. He was a fish out of water. He was a physical therapist. He was a personal trainer. He didn't know what he was. He, he was everything and he was nothing. If he'd been really focused on challenges at that point, as much as I would like him to be, he would have been working with Sarah and Jam Jam and gotten out Carolyn because Sarah and Jam Jam are much better at challenges than she is. All I want to focus on here is that at least somebody said the word challenges on Tika. Because it's been driving me nuts that nobody has even shown that they're thinking about it. It's whack that they're bringing it up now because I bet they're all expecting a merge after this uh, immunity challenge and tribal right. council. They right. know it's on the horizon. So I think when the season starts, the value of challenge performance is at its peak. And as the season goes on, it declines over time because there's just fewer tribal challenges down the road that you need to worry about. So it's weird that the first time we hear about this is when challenge prowess is at its all-time low throughout this season. It's weird, but I did want to throw it out just because, I mean, Josh is going to win the season, so it's good to see that he's thinking about things. I don't believe that you think Josh is winning the season anymore. After what we see later in this episode that we'll talk about, I might give you an opportunity to pivot off if you want to. I'm not pivoting off. I'm committed. Oh, wait, last thing I just want to say with Tika, though. Tika is the first all-LGBTQ tribe that we've ever seen on Survivor. All three members that are left are all part of that community. Carolyn is? Yeah. I thought it was cool that we got that moment between Jam Jam and Josh, but part of me was wondering, like, where's Carolyn for this? Like, obviously, she doesn't have to reveal any information if she doesn't want to, but it would have been cool to see all three of them uh, connecting over that. And I was bummed about it because Carolyn's my winner pick, and... It felt like they connected over something that Caroline could have contributed to the conversation yeah. to. I mean, it would have been nice to see a human moment from that um, that that horrible, horrible competitor, Caroline, who horrible. is bad at every challenge she she tries. Anyway, I I just drives me nuts how bad she is at challenges. Let's move on to uh, Ratu or to Soka. Uh, let's go to Ratu because this let's part hurts me, but not as much as it hurts Matthew. <laughs> Matthew is hurting. His shoulder that he messed up early in the season is continuing to have a lot of pain. And he has this moment where he talks to Kane about it. Kane describes Matthew as a gladiator and a certified legend. That's an exact quote. 
I tell you what, Kane, I just want to throw out. Kane really, going into the season, Kane was wearing uh, jean shorts going into the season. And when we did the draft, I I piled criticism on him for that. I like Kane at this point. Oh, yeah, I like Kane as a, as a guy, too. Um, I'm surprised that Matthew goes to Kane to connect over this. It, it was my understanding that Kane was on the bottom of this tribe. So yeah. maybe they're just friends, but not allies. I, I would have expected Matthew to open up with Brandon, who I thought was Matthew's number one ally. And Brandon is an ex-NFL player. So if anyone can connect with him over an injury, it's probably him. Yeah. I mean, so has Ratu seen a tribal since the beginning? They've not went since the first tribal council. So I don't know where the alliance dynamics have shifted since. I mean, it feels like Carson has been delivered to this tribe to shed some light on the dynamics. But even then, we don't get a ton. Yeah, you think production was like, we need to get Carson in there, give us some good content because nothing's going on? They did the swap because uh, there's a certain dynamic in that tribe that, well, I guess the swap did take away. And that dynamic is... Um, we are the plant lady... And the plant daddy. The plant lady and the plant daddy are no more. So we get that great moment between Matthew and Kane. And then um, the Matthew Carson moment is very similar. And they're kind of back to back. Matthew says something, he says in a confessional, you know, I feel like I can really open up to Carson. And it's really nice, I thought, um, from Matthew's perspective. And we get a confessional from Carson. And I want to talk to you about this strategy. Because Carson says that his plan is to kind of act as the hub of the wheel, right? With all of the spokes to everybody else on Ratu going through him. He wants everybody to come to him, not each other. So we don't know if this is working. Do you think that being that proactive after a tribe swap is the right move trying to insert yourself that centrally it's good i'm not sure how intentional carson is with it as much as it is he's going into a tribe that hasn't attended tribal council for multiple weeks now of the show mm -hmm. and i'm sure a lot of those members are on edge they want to strategize they want to play the game so when an opportunity arises they're going to do whatever they can to make that connection right but I do think the connections he has are genuine. And since we are looking to emerge coming up, I think we're about to see the battle between Soka and Ratu. And the winner of that battle will be whoever can pull members of Tika onto their side. I think that might be their process, thought process as well, where they see Carson as a valuable number for the long run of the game. Kind of a gateway. Yeah. Yeah. So I do want to throw out one little quote from Carson and Kane's bonding. Because uh, they have a little walk where they're like, ha ha, we're so young. Everybody is so old. This is an actual quote. Oh, and the other thing they focus on is we're young and we're nerds. And it feels like, okay, to go back to young Sheldon, it feels like. Okay, it always comes back to young Sheldon. It always comes full circle. It feels like they are, because these are both two kind of nerdy guys, right? Kane's a law student. Carson's an, uh, a NASA intern engineer kind of guy they're nerdy people but it feels like they go for the most stereotypical nerdy stuff and i say this as a pretty nerdy guy uh we're on zoom clyde this is a poster from the lord of the rings like the only poster in view is the lord of the rings but all they talk about is star wars and pokemon which feels like 
a lazy Big Bang Theory writer wrote some prompts for them. Hey, mainstream America will get that these are nerdy references. Here's the line I want to, uh, the quote I want to focus on. Everyone is so old, but like, what about the Jedi? They're young, hip, they like their Pokemon? Yeah, that, that's just the way they, the way they vibe. The thing I wrote down from this conversation is, I think Kane appears way nerdier than Carson. Uh-huh. And I wrote down a couple examples of the vibe I get from this situation. Yeah. I think Kane has every Star Wars side character memorized, and Carson has seen each Star Wars movie like maybe twice. They're just on different levels. Another one is I think Kane knows every Dungeons and Dragons character archetype, and Carson has played D&D like three times. Like, there's different degrees to this, and it feels like Kane is really forcing the issue. And uh-huh. Carson just wants an ally. I think he says in a confessional immediately following this conversation that he's the strategic mastermind that's connecting with everybody. So I don't know how genuine Carson really is with these nerdy things that they have in common as much as it is him just playing it up to form an ally in some way. We know that Carson in the past has done some 3D printing. He made some puzzles to practice, right? He worked at NASA. You can't do that stuff without being kind of a nerd, right? But... It definitely kind of feels like, to build on your dynamic, it feels like in a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man is a nerd, right? And all of his friends are clearly nerds. But Spider-Man is a nerd in quotes because he's also like pretty and shredded, right? So he's kind of nerdy and he says the right words, but it's just not believable because you can't picture him like, are you saying Carson is too hot to be a nerd? <laughs> is that the take here? Yes. You know what? I guess it kind of is. The, the take is that Carson's Carson's too pretty for it to be believable. Um, if Carson went heavily into some of those nerdy themes and talked about some of the details, I would have believed it. But a lot of the conversation is Kane talking about his dirty interests and Carson just giggling off to the side and like, yeah. <laughs> You know, I would believe he's a nerd. Here's what I want to see from next episode from these two. I want them to make a set of dice, D&D dice, out of coconuts, make a D20, make a D12 out of coconuts. I want to see where uh, Soka is doing their morning meditation. I want to see Ratu doing D&D. That will sell me on Carson's nerdiness, is if he's playing D&D on the island. Yeah, I want Brandon as the dungeon master for that game. NFL players who play D&D go hard. Uh, there's quite a few, and they spend a lot of money on it. But Maybe we'll learn that about Brandon later in the season. Well, Brandon's a renaissance man. He's an everything man. I would be more surprised if he didn't know, know every Dungeons & Dragons character. Statistically speaking, yeah. I mean, if he does everything, it's very unlikely he doesn't do this. Uh, let's hop over to... Soka, unless you have anything left in Ratu. Yeah, I'm good to hop to Soka. You want to talk about the breeding exercise? You know, I should have gone into the archives for the soundboard because I'm realizing live that what the soundboard enables me to do in the future is go back and find quotes from you or me. Yeah, me being right every time. (laughs) And so you were vindicated here because you were angry in the last episode that Franny was leading the meditation. Yeah. And in this one, Danny leads the meditation. You know, he's really into this kind of belly diaphragmatic breathing. And we get my favorite line of the episode. 
we're a bunch of silly gooses out here. I wrote that one down too. It's great. So good. It's so good. I was happy to see it. It connects well to Danny's Instagram, which is breathing with Danny. So I, I was happy to see it all come full circle. I don't know anything about meditation, so I could be 100% wrong on this. And I acknowledge that. Okay. The, the breathing seemed faster paced than all the other meditations I've ever seen. Like that, it seems counterproductive where I thought whenever you do meditation, it's supposed to be this slow in and out. But Danny is saying, okay, let's start. And then he starts almost like hyperventilating to a degree. Yeah. Like I think I would get lightheaded participating in Danny's uh, meditation. It definitely feels like Danny doesn't know his own strength. And he's like, all right, let's go guys. And everyone else is like falling over on the beach. But also kudos to you, your girl, Jamie is having an absolutely great time here. And she loves being on the hippie tribe. And we get a couple of wild lines from Jamie here. Oh, yeah. Jamie starts really feeling good about her position within the tribe for absolutely no reason. <laughs> Jamie, at every stage, her confidence is unmatched, which I think is a good thing in some ways. It's, it's a double-edged sword. It is fun to see somebody play so... She's so joyful and so confident. And is that confidence merited? No, but it's fun to watch. She says, I have so much more information than anyone. I mean, I guess, I mean, she does know the other tribe, right? That, so that's kind of true. But she also thinks she has two immunity idols and one of them's fake. She then says, I am the most valuable person that anyone could interact with. I think I could make the argument that Jamie is in the bottom three for least valuable allies to have in the game at this point. Matt. Matt's more valuable because at least if you align with Matt, you'll align with Franny by extension. What what does Jamie bring to the table at this point? Her closest ally in the game doesn't actually trust her and planted a fake idol on her. We are the plant lady and the plant daddy. She's really confident and she she starts asking Franny about Matt. And she's like, yeah, I don't know if he really has a, a tactical approach. Jamie sort of not actively shit talking Matt to Franny, but kind of asking after him in kind of a, you know, oh, I don't think he's that great of a strategic partner way. And then we get this montage of Matt and Franny. And I want to focus on this for a minute because it is both so sweet. And it feels like when the first one of them is voted out, all of the footage from this next few minutes will be replayed over and over and over. With like romantic music in the background? Yes. Uh, Matt says, my blind spot is Franny. We know, Matt. It's been a month. It's That's been true for a month. Um, Franny says, does a confessional where she's like, I don't not like Matt. And if we ended up dating, I mean, I that's like a best case scenario or I'd really like that. She says something very sweet. We want to go out for Ethiopian food together. What a specific date. Like they, they're going to go on a road trip to get Ethiopian food. That's the two things they've committed to doing. And then we get this hug between them. And, and the hug, man, it's such a long hug. I mean, on a show where, you know, Josh's commentary about challenges was cut for time. We get this full like 45 second hug between the two of them that is kind of uncomfortable because it's so clear how like into each other they are. And then we, as the viewer, are behind the cameraman 
who's about eight inches away from this hug. <laughs> think about that. They did this right in front of another guy probably holding the camera right there. There's a guy holding the camera. There's another guy holding the boom, right, to get the audio. And they're just like, ah. like having this long hug. I was so uncomfortable with it, but also it was like very sweet. I don't know. How did you feel about it? So I think this whole scene reinforced what I already thought about the Matt and Franny dynamic where Franny is the real strategist of this duo. And I don't know if we've had a confessional the entire season of Matt explaining his strategy. Every confessional that Matt has is him talking about his personal relationship with Franny. Or his breakup. But even, even then, that's connected to the story of him being into Franny. That's his arc. Matt's arc on Survivor isn't Matt wins Survivor. Matt's arc on Survivor is Matt recovers from heartbreak and finds new love. Yeah, which is odd that Matt is getting as much screen time as he is, considering a lot of his content isn't super significant for the actual trajectory of the show. I originally thought that Franny was going to outlast Matt. I'm now starting to think that Matt is going to outlast Franny. And I think that would be more interesting, too, because I think Matt would be way more heartbroken if Franny <laughs> gets voted out before him. Oh, is that my messed God. Up? No, because I think I was about to ask, you know, do you think this is foreshadowing for him having a great season? Oh, no, I still don't think I still think he's winning. Like, I do not feel good about either of my fantasy players and Matt or Jamie at this point. It was kind of painful to watch them interact with each other and. Jamie pretending that she has all this knowledge and Matt just not doing anything, which he's done all season. Yeah. Matt's like just wanting to talk about how great Franny is. And Jamie's like, I'm trying to strategize here, Matt. Please give me something. Yeah. So I would like to see Franny make it further, but I think over time players will catch on to the fact, and Jamie's already catching on to this fact, that Franny is the real strategist and Matt is kind of just along for the ride. I, I would throw out on that point. Um, We do get a confessional from Franny where she says, I don't think Jamie realizes how close Matt and I are. So I I think Jamie, at least at that point, hadn't picked up on the sparks between them. Which is crazy. This is the most obvious alliance in the entire game. Jamie's claiming that she has more knowledge than anyone, but she can't pick up on the clear showings between these two. All Jamie needs to do to, like break that tribe open and get into the majority is go to anybody else on the tribe and go, oh my God, they're all over each other, right? And everyone else on the tribe will be like, thank you. Let's get rid of them. Okay, so I've got a a question for you as the resident Rain Man for Survivor stats historically. Historically speaking with showmances, what is the furthest a showmance has gone? Final two. Final two? One showmance, the... Best showmance in Survivor history, the successful showmance, the players were still married like decades after meeting on the show. They meet on the show, make it to the final two. That's amazing. Maybe one day we'll watch that season. Question I have for you. This is a predictive question. Yeah. Will we see a Matt Franny kiss this season? I don't know. Um, It feels like, here's what I'll say. What it feels like to me is it kind of feels like they are... um, unwilling to cross that line i get the sense because there's that hug is so charged right and it's so focused on and maybe part of that's the edit but also the fact that the camera is right there i think that franny and matt genuinely like each other 
And I think that they are conscious of the fact that if they don't keep dancing around it, right, if they take the plunge, if they have a kiss, right, they sleep together, which I would assume is frowned upon on the island because it's a waste of fluids in a competitive game. If, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, damn. If, if they cross that boundary, right, my thought is that's not an emotionally strong place to start a relationship because then it's on live TV, right, for millions of people. I think they are conscious of that and they are restraining themselves. I, I think I'd lean towards your side as well. I don't think we'll see it. I think this hug will be the peak of the Matt Franny showmance that we'll get this season, which is kind of sad, but it's also kind of in character for them as like the two dweebs. I would love it if every time we go to Soak Up, we get, you know, an update from Jamie, an update from Danny, right? They're having their conversations, they're strategizing, they're breathing, they're meditating. And then we just cut to Matt and Franny in another long, awkward hug. This can't be a daily thing that they do. I refuse to believe that. They meditate and then they go hug and that's it. Also notice that Matt gives Franny a hermit crab on the island, which I thought was really cute. Here Matt is just giving away pets left and right. He gave away the dog to the ex-girlfriend. Now he's giving away the hermit crab to <laughs> Franny. One of these days, Matt will get a pet that he will be able to keep. Does Franny keep the hermit crab or does she eat it? Because don't they eat those? It was a live one when he handed it to her. That'd be really... If she ate the hermit crab... Oh, thanks. <laughs> on the spot. Dude, Matt would be heartbroken. Yeah, we got to move on. We're, we're, we've talked so much. Let's go to the challenge. Okay. So this week's immunity challenge is pretty straight up. It's an obstacle course with the table maze at the end. They all reach the maze around the same time. So it ends up really just being the maze challenge. We only get three players competing from each tribe because Tika is so broken down. Yeah. So we get Matt, Danny, Heidi from Soka and Brandon Carson Kane from Ratu. Yeah. What are some highlights that you have from this challenge? Can I tell you something? I actually, I remember it very well. I wrote nothing down uh, uh, during the challenge. Part of that was I was eating pizza. Part of it was there weren't a ton of really tense moments until the end, right? I liked the challenge. I liked the water component. It is disappointing that all of those elements are just for the viewer and not for the competition in the end, right? Like, you have to really screw up, it feels like, to actually fall behind. A couple things I did note, Carson and Brandon on the new Ratu uh, at the table maze communicating well. They do very well, right? They end up winning the challenge. Um, and I thought that was interesting because we haven't seen a conversation between them yet, but they were able to work together very well. They probably connect over NASA. Like Brandon probably knows about NASA <laughs> and, and space as well. He actually is a pilot. That was one of his things. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, I mean, that's like every astronaut is either a pilot turned astrophysicist or vice versa, right? So, uh, sure. You know, but... Honestly, between Carson's science and Brandon's piloting, that's an astronaut. Like, they're basically Buzz Lightyear if you combine them into one person. That was the only thing that really jumped out to me. We we get a Josh and Yam Yam table maze. It was a shocker they didn't put Carolyn on the table maze. Well, here's what I did want to note. We get Carolyn looking so upset at her teammates struggling. Just drives me nuts again. Because there's no self-awareness. Carolyn's like, God, these guys, like, she's back there behind kind of making faces whenever they struggle. We haven't seen them talk about challenges at all. And we haven't seen anybody 
be unsportsmanlike or unsupportive of Carolyn's terrible performance. And then in this opportunity to be kind of supportive and cheer her team on, she is making faces and is visibly like, ah, oh, come on, when they struggle. Okay. She doesn't say anything mean. She just makes her weird faces. That's what she does all the time. Nothing she says is supportive where the other two tribes are like cheering each other on like, yeah, you got this. We don't get any of that. None of that. But what what stood out to you in this challenge? I have a couple of things. One of them is there's a section of this challenge where you have to go over and under an obstacle. And the under part of the obstacle is made of rope instead of wood, which I thought was a nice shout out to Bruce. I wonder if that was originally <laughs> a wooden plank that they had to go underneath. But given everything that happened in the first episode, production thought, hey, maybe we should change it to rope. That way we don't have to medically evacuate another player. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I was upset that there weren't as many Carolyn screams during this challenge. I said the other week that those were kind of a safety blanket for me. And yep. it wasn't the same watching a challenge without hearing uh, those sweet, sweet squawks. Other thing I had is there's a moment when Soka is doing the table maze. And uh -huh. it's Danny and Matt. And these two players, we haven't seen a lot of interaction between. And before they do their third ball, Danny looks at Matt and just stares at his eye, stares into his eyes, puts his hand on his back and just nods to him. It seemed like a very father-son moment there between the two of them. Yeah. And then the last thing I had was at the end of this challenge, Ratu barely beats out Soka for first yeah. place. It's so close. It is so it's close. so close between first and second. But third place is nowhere close. I think they both had three balls completed and then Tika either just got their second or was still working on their second. So it was a pretty big gap between the two. And when the challenge is over, Danny claims that, you know, the matches are always uh, just as close in real life as they appear on TV. Yeah. And I get what Danny was trying to say here, but it came across like a backhanded compliment because like, yeah, it was close between first and second, but... Tika is the one that's going to tribal and they were nowhere even near the first two tribes. So, so this sets up a great point that we need to, that we're going to discuss here, which is how the other two tribes, the two big successful tribes view the terrible Tikas, right? The third turds. Um, yeah, the Tika turds. The Tika turds. The narrative, which I think is valid, is that if you're wearing purple, you are garbage because they're, they have not had hardly any success in challenges. I am certain because Carson came out swinging. Everybody on Ratu thinks Jam Jam's a manipulator and they've seen how bad Carolyn is at challenges. And they have respect for Josh, but he came in, you know, later, right? So I think the reputation of that tribe, you know, you hit on this earlier, at the merge, those votes will be kind of sought after by the two larger camps. At the same time, I don't think anybody on the other two tribes see tiny Tika turds as a threat in any way, shape, or form. Wait, so I want to ask you then. So since you're the anti-Tika host of this podcast, yes, uh, were you happy that Tika lost the challenge or were you hoping another one of the tribes lost to learn about their dynamics? I don't know. It kind of felt like, would I be sad if gravity worked, right? It's inevitable. It's science. Would I be sad if the sun didn't come up? Yes. You know, if pigs flew, I'd be like, uh-oh, but I'd be a little bit more worried about, you know, the the uh, unraveling of the universe because Tika's loss was inevitable. Josh can't carry those two. They're disasters. 
aside from their competitive prowess, there's no teamwork between Jam Jam and Carolyn. They're mad at each other right now. There's there's no vibes. So I was not mad or disappointed or happy. I was just like, yep, this is the inevitable outcome. It's interesting, too, that last season that we watched, we had a similar tribe that got decimated in the pre-merge, and you rooted for that group. But Well, they were this, likable. <laughs> this version of it, you were very against. Because here's, ha- here's what happened. We, we watched Samoa, and the Foa Foa 4 bonded. They became this coherent unit. They were like a family who eventually turned on each other and, and it got nasty, but they were like a family. There are no bonds in Tika that will stand the test of time, right? One of the things I kind of wonder about is what relationships on this show carry out after they leave the island, right? I'm assuming Franny and Matt, they're off to get Ethiopian food, right? You know, we'll get to this in a minute. I feel like Danny and Brandon are going to be friends forever, right? Uh, We see them bonding here in a little bit. But um, I don't think anybody on Tika is ever speaking to anyone else again, except to say hello at the live, you know, reunion. Uh, We didn't hit on this. This challenge is immunity with another journey. How did you feel at the announcement before the challenge about the journey? I was worried. I was thinking we have so many idols and advantages in this game. Are we really going to put more in? Yeah. I was concerned when they announced this. But when Ratu wins the challenge, they get to select three people to go. Right. And they selected Brandon from Ratu, Danny from Soka, and Carolyn from Tika. And I don't know if you noticed this, but by coincidence, they selected the three players that each opened the birdcage. That's a great point. That's Isn't very, that crazy? That is crazy because it is totally coincidence. I mean, not totally, right? They, those people made it this far because of the bird cages, but still, that's very interesting. Yeah, when they were selected, I was hoping that the bird cage would come up at the journey itself, and then that's something that they could all bond over and connect over. We don't get that at all. That's a great point. I completely, I missed that entirely. Um, before we go to Party Rock Island, we do have to talk about something sad which is Matthew. Matthew has to stay behind because he's really struggling and they want the doctor to check him out again. And basically he kind of tears up and we get Jeff kind of... um, It's hard for me to tell if Jeff is like being really empathetic or kind of enjoying his fake medical degree that he gets gets to have in these moments. Like he, he gets kind of excited to explain like, so doctor... Explain why he's still in pain after he dislocated his shoulder and then jammed it back in himself. Jeff, you said it. Like, that's why. Like, Jeff eats up these medical examinations, like, a little bit too much. Yeah. Tells Matthew a quarter row down. He says, you got injured playing the game. And (laughs) Jeff, no, he didn't. He got injured hanging out around camp and he fell off a rock. Like, (laughs) that wasn't him getting injured in, in a challenge or anything like that. So I'm always annoyed by Jeff during these medical exams. I have a tough time separating it from my own life where I just think that if I was treating a patient and I had to deal with Jeff standing over my shoulder commentating the whole thing, I would be so annoyed. I would tell him to get away from me. Yeah, but he doesn't leave. Yeah, we never get a conclusion from this scene in terms of whether Matthew leaves the game or stays. And I would need to go back and check, but just about every medical evacuation on Survivor is shown. Um, you can remember mm-hmm. we saw two of them in our previous season 
And in both cases, they actually show the contestant leaving the island. So when right. they cut away from this, I was under the assumption that Matthew Spine, he's still in the game. And and in this season with Bruce and, uh, I mean, the other medical stuff didn't result in medevacs, but we saw Bruce go, right? Yeah. We see him actually leave the beach and get on the boat. So I, in my mind, a player is in the game until I see them on the boat with Jeff and Jeff is still trying to give them medical advice. Yeah, because if we don't see them riding off into the sunset with Jeff, they could be in the jungle looking for idols. We don't know. They could be on a fourth secret tribe. Shall we go to uh, Party Rock? Yeah, this is the part that I felt that you probably enjoyed so much because we get some good old-fashioned Carolyn bullying in this section. So so the journey that Danny, Brandon, and Carolyn go on is not for any reward other than an actual reward. They aren't getting any new pieces to take into the game. They can say, you know, they are said, they are told like, hey, have some shade, have some food, bond, and tell everyone else whatever you want, which seems like a great opportunity for a pre-merge triple alliance where they can come up with a lie, right? Or set up for a ton of backstabbing between the three people, right? But swapping intel, discussing, whatever. I just want to say, I like this twist, like... I thought out yeah. of all the Party Rock Islands that we've seen, this is the most interesting. This is the one where I <laughs> feel like production just let the players do their thing and we got to see the dynamics between them. Like, we didn't learn about the interpersonal dynamics of any of the other Party Rock Island groups. Like, it, off the top of my head, I can't tell you what the other ones were. I would need to go back and check my notes. It was nice to see them talk. In my opinion, going forward, I only want to see Party Rock Islands that are either something like this... Or, tell me what you think about this. I would love to see a Party Rock Island where the three of them compete in a mini challenge for a single advantage or idol. And then they can go back and say whatever they want. But I'd like to see the three of them have to do something on Party Rock. You know? It's interesting. A, mi a mini challenge Could there. Could be fun. I think... Just a little t-ball. You know, just, a little bocce. Yeah, we'll play some bocce ball. Yeah, do some backyard games next to the Survivor Sanctuary where they eat. I wonder if it'd be more interesting if they said the three of you need to come to a unanimous decision on who gets this extra vote because I don't think it should yeah. be too powerful. Yes, and then then it kind of relies on the players to connect with each other, pass information back and forth, and then figure out who gets the advantage from there. I think that would be a little bit more interesting than just let's hit the tee ball a couple times and then head home. Well, well, I'm not going to say anything bad about tee ball, but. Uh, because that's the perfect survivor challenge. But I think that's a good point. What we get instead of a trio alliance or anything is what I think we should be calling the strong boy club. The two buff dudes basically do that like 1980s action movie thing where they, you know, grab hands and they flex. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, they grab hands right in the middle with Carolyn sitting a foot away. Uh, because basically what we get is the two dudes just kind of ignoring her or when they do talk to her they say things like you know what alliances are you trying to establish to keep yourself in the game they i think are telling it like it is i don't think they're being necessarily they're being a little rude but i don't think they're like bullying her i think they're just saying look your tribe's tiny who are you hoping to bring in you know or who are you hoping to stick to and carolyn takes it really personally he takes it personally for good reason. If they want to align together, that's cool. And they should do yeah. that. 
But yeah. you can't exclude Carolyn and make it blatantly obvious that you're forming this bro alliance. Like, it is so disastrous for their own gains to release that information to the other tribes that they plan to make a strong boys alliance. And that's what they do here. They exclude Carolyn from almost the entire conversation. There's a point where Danny says that they need to keep the strong guys together, which is obviously I love it. excluding Carolyn. Brandon tells her that, oh, you just need to survive the next vote. Like, it felt like these guys expected Carolyn to get voted out, so they didn't care what she thought about them. You know what? Not a bad read. If I'm on another tribe and I'm watching, if we're, as Danny says, you know, in this tense, real competition of our two tribes, you know, we've got Zeus and Poseidon, you know, these demigods, Danny and Brandon, a Renaissance man and a guy who knows how to breathe. They're killing their challenges. And then they look over and like clown music starts playing when Tika <laughs> is 20 miles behind them in the challenge. And Carolyn is at the back of that group every time. I think it's a totally valid read, not knowing much about the dynamic. Brandon hearing from Carson that Jam Jam is the mastermind. From that perspective, Carolyn's the weakest in challenges, and she's not the mastermind on the tribe, right? She might have bring a lot to the table, but by revealing to Carolyn that you plan to form a strong boys alliance that excludes her, She's going to go back and tell that to Jam Jam and Josh. So that information will reach the merge from somebody. It might not be Carolyn, but somebody's going to go in the merge and say, those guys are planning to work together. Why leak that? Why not just tell Carolyn that she's a part of the group and lie to her and then later at the merge get together and say, Carolyn's not actually a part of this. They, I think, fairly read the situation as Tika needs to come to us, right? Yes, there's votes there. But I think there's a mentality for the other two that Tika is a non-entity on their own. And in that situation, and saying up front, like they do to Carolyn, you know, how are you going to survive? And how are you hoping to survive long term? I don't think that was them shutting the door. And I think Carolyn took it as them shutting the door and started digging a hole, right? Because she immediately, Carolyn is somebody where if she takes offense... And this is a parallel to Shambo. Once you cross her, once you cross her, you can't uncross her. They straight up say we need to keep the strong guys together. But that's later. That's later. That still, exclu that still excludes her. It doesn't matter if they exclude her at the beginning yes. or the end. They exclude her regardless. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because they do exclude her. But I think they exclude her after she's made it very clear that she can't take any criticism. Even if that's the case, under no circumstance is there any value in excluding another contestant. I don't think it ever makes sense to make someone feel like I will not work with you and also reveal who I am going to work with is such a bad idea. I think this was a terrible move by Danny and Brandon. And my prediction following this is give me Danny, Brandon, or Josh. One of those three will be the boot next episode. I think Leaking wow. this in. That's a big call, This information is going to spread everywhere because I looked at the numbers. Um, After this episode, we got 12 people. Who are the members of this strong guy yep. alliance that will have the majority? Let's say, ideally, you got Danny, you got Brandon, you got Josh. That's only three. You need three more just to get halfway. Uh, Hypothetically, let's say Danny brings in Heidi. Now you're at four. Who are the other people joining this group? Is Jamie joining? Well, I think in their minds at this stage, right? Brandon's thinking, I've got... Matthew for sure. I bet I can bully Kane because Kane's still scared of me 
as he should be. I don't think Kane and Carson want to join this group. They're the nerdy guys. They're the antithesis of the bro alliance. I think Brandon and Danny see this opportunity to go, okay, between us, we've got, we are in strong positions on the two strongest tribes. Little Miss uh, Third Turd here is, we don't know where she is, but she doesn't seem to be the mastermind on the Turd team, right? Well, hey, strong boys can bring everyone together against them, against this little three, maybe two, if we can pull Josh. And hey, that's two votes. And then the two of us can worry about picking up other people from our large alliance. So the plan isn't the strong guy alliance. The plan is Soka and Ratu. I think we're about to see the misfits. I think we're about to see the misfits bound together and vote one of the strong guys out. You see the strong guys, it's going to be middle school, and you got the strong guys, and then you've got Franny and Matt, Parson and Jamie and Lauren and oh, literally everyone outside the strong guys. Yeah, it's it's going to be either Captain America or middle school or something completely different. But I think I could see it going either way. It's, it is hard to make these predictions because we've just extrapolated, especially me, a whole lot when we haven't seen any of Ratu's dynamics for like yeah. a month. Well, I also think that this scene as a whole builds Carolyn's winning arc, in my opinion. Her her storyline oh. this season is oh. that she's the underdog player that everybody underestimates. And I feel that we keep getting scenes reinforcing that. We get Jan Jan telling her that when Josh came to their tribe that she is the one that appears on the bottom. And then here again, we get people... Yeah. Literally telling to her face that, oh, you just got to get through the next vote. This is Carolyn's story that's building throughout the season. And when Carolyn wins at the end, this will be another instance where we go back and say, look, everybody underestimated her, but she overcame those odds. I can't wait to play some of this in the soundboard when she gets voted out in two episodes. In two? Okay. We'll see. I think she's going she's gonna to be gone within three weeks of the merge, I think. Because I don't think in a large group, anybody is going to see her as a constant or reliable source of alliance and not even worth kind of carrying further along. Are, are we good on Party Rock Island? We're good on Party Rock. We hit a lot on uh, predictions and stuff. So Carolyn goes back to Tika. And uh -huh. from the moment she gets back, she knows that she wants to work with Jam Jam over Josh. And as soon as she gets back and the boat appears on the horizon, we get, I use this phrase a lot, uh, a stank face from Josh. The man does not like her. The man, like, has read this the room, in my opinion, correctly, and he's just like, ugh, she's returned. Let's see what new thing I have to deal with. He didn't feel that way last episode when he offered to play the idol on her. He's learned his lesson. He's He had, here's what's happened. He's had to spend a night in that camp with her. Uh, but so she comes back, and she is immediately, it's basically whenever Josh turns around, Carolyn is like, me and you. Me and you kind of mouthing it to Jam Jam, pointing back and forth. We're good. Me and you. And it's, oh, it's, I, I was personally, it was so desperate that if I'm Jam Jam in that moment, I don't know why I would pay attention to any of that other than the threat of Carolyn bringing back an idol or something. She comes back with some valuable information though. She, she tells him that there's this brewing strong boys alliance and if I'm Jam Jam, I totally understand the reservations of if I work with Josh, this could come and bite me in the butt at the merge if he decides to along with the strong boys over me. So if you're Jam Jam, right, at this stage, 
we'll get into the whole idol stuff, right? Because uh, that is an extenuating factor. But is Intel alone enough to make Jam Jam go back to Carolyn after she left him out last time? It shouldn't be enough at this stage to switch him from Josh. But then Carolyn asks to see J Josh's idol. Oh, boy. And this was great. Josh takes out the idol, and within seconds, Jam Jam says, are those the beads from uh, Tree Mail? Yeah. And everyone knows it's fake. It is so poorly put together. It's such a bad look for Josh here, because the intel is one thing, where there's a concern that Josh might flip on Jam Jam and work with the strong boys or work with Soka. But if Jam Jam yeah. feels that Josh trusts him, then that's something that he can work with moving forward. There's potential that Josh would take Jam Jam into either of those alliances. Josh loses his trust here. When he shows the idol it's a fake, that's a sign that this alliance he has with Jam Jam is not as stable as Jam Jam originally thought. There's this big decision that Jam Jam has to make between will he side with Carolyn or will he side with Josh? And I wrote down the and major reasons for each side. Okay, great. Yeah. So here's the three main reasons why you vote out Carolyn. One is that if you head to the merge with Josh, there's the potential relationships with Soka. Two is there's a risk of Carolyn holding an idol or advantage from the, the journey she just went on. Yep. And three is Carolyn recently betrayed Jan Jam's trust in the Sarah boat. Then you get to Josh, and I think these reasons are way more compelling. So first, Josh is a physical threat at the merge. Jam Jam is someone that's probably not super likely to win a lot of challenges, but having someone yeah. like Josh around significantly reduces his chances. Number two is that Josh and Jam Jam have a relationship that's now unstable. In fact, Jam Jam voted against Josh in the previous tribal council. So that's something that's probably still looming between them. Yeah, I, I would throw out, though, that hit Jam Jam voting against Josh and being left out of Carolyn's vote, I feel like those factors kind of cancel out. I think there's something that's a little bit more personal with having someone write your name down as opposed to being flipped on. Yeah. Three is that Josh appears untrustworthy from the fake idol and four is the uh -huh. risk of the muscle alliance. I think there's way more reasons to vote out Josh here than there is Carolyn. And this is a two-part question for you. One is, what would you do if you were Jam Jam? And two is, what do you think Jam Jam would have done? If I'm Jam Jam and I hear that there's an alliance where they're prioritizing Josh, I want to get in good with Josh because at the very least, it's an introduction to his old tribe. Carolyn doesn't have that. Yes, there's some issues with trustworthiness, right? With Josh, but um, that totally exists with Carolyn too. Like Jam Jam says multiple times throughout this episode, like, I don't know if I can trust either of them, right? So I, I think what it would boil down to for me and I know I'm very biased and I have some opinions about, I don't know, Carolyn being not a good player or whatever. But I think what it really does come down to is introductions at the merge. If I'm Jam Jam, I want Josh because I get everybody on Soka, potentially. Where Carolyn, I get Carson back, maybe. And what I think he was going to do Honestly, I think he was going to side with Josh. I think he was going to try. No way. I think the whole episode was going in the direction of him signing with Carolyn and voting out Josh. Where, where we're because left off is immediately after the fake idol thing, and it seems like all of that trust is broken. I, I thought it was pretty clear that Josh was on his way out. 
So you think if we have a tribal council, that if there was a tribal council, Carolyn was going home? Yes. No. Well, well, not necessarily. No. no. I Because she's got an idol. I think Josh was for sure going home this episode. I think his ass was saved. I think Jam Jam was siding with Carolyn. And then even uh. in the event that Jam Jam sides with Josh, that idol was going to get played this episode. When you're in a yeah. tribe of three, there's no question you have to play it. You don't want to risk it at that point. Josh was going home regardless of which way Jam Jam was going to side. And you were saved. <laughs> you were a medevac away from having to watch Young Sheldon. I tell you what, I was real nervous. But uh, nothing happens with all of that strategizing, with all of those conversations, because a boat appears on the horizon, and it's Jeff. And I want to throw this out. Before we get the news from Jeff, Jeff jumps out of the boat into the water. He's like two feet from dry sand, and he jumps into the water in what are extraordinarily clean white Adidas sneakers. Well, yeah, he just got out of the chamber, dude. Like, <laughs> like, like this man just was thawed out, and he went, you know what? I know these shoes are brand new, but I want to go ruin them in the ocean. He can't have that many pairs of shoes in Fiji. And it's such a little thing, but it drove me nuts, because if he had jumped a little more, he'd be in dry sand. Feels a little bit insulting that all these players are in such rough conditions. And here Jeff is rolling up with the cleanest, whitest pair of shoes possible. And then ruining them because he'll get another pair. Like he's taking away their flint and then he's totally dry. And if he gets wet, someone will put dry things on him. But so he arrives and he breaks the news that sight unseen, Matthew has de has decided to leave the show. And there is no tribal. And we get a little group hug from the three of them where Carolyn's like, yeah, I was going to vote you off, Josh. It was bad. That's such a bad look to just be like, hey, I know we're going to still be living here for who knows how long, but I'm against you, man. Well, that's essentially what Danny and Brandon did to Carolyn. But I'm fine with them doing it. Yeah, there's no <laughs> double standard here at all. Well, because I think there's there's a lot more tactical reasons for them to not have to care about her. So how do you feel with Matthew gone? Uh, this is bullshit. <laughs> bullshit for two reasons one yeah. is they don't show matthew actually medically evacuated which i think is kind of unfair to him he never gets his goodbye scene he does get until the credits he does get the credit scene of talking about his survivor journey but yeah. what upsets me most here is that it feels like survivor is creating these arbitrary rules of when we hold a tribal council and when we don't in episode yes. one bruce gets medically evacuated from tika Ratu loses the immunity challenge and they still need to attend tribal council. So why is it a rule in episode one that a medical evacuation keeps the tribal council, but now it removes it? It feels like yeah. an arbitrary rule that saves Josh in the game and by extension saves you. <laughs> you know what? I mean, that's a very good point. And it would be nice if there was some standardization, but maybe they take into account number of people left, right? Because there's two medevacs, right? The first one kind of gets you ahead of schedule with that vote, right? I think Tika should have been required to vote somebody out. Um, the one thing I think about is, you'll see this later in the season, at the final 10, what they've been doing in these new era seasons is that they take all 10 people, they divide them into two groups of five. Each right. group of five competes in an individual immunity, and then you have two tribal councils in that episode. So you go from 10 Ooh. to 8 in a single episode. Ooh, that's spicy. But... You could just have a normal tribal council that episode. You can eliminate two people here 
and then just do a straight up vote at final 10, then at final nine. So there's yeah. ways to work around this and make the schedule work, but they just pass it up for some reason. I was upset too, because I think Matthew was a great player. I loved Matthew. That's a huge loss. Honestly, I hope he comes back. When I was looking at my player rankings that I've been making throughout the season, Matthew was in the top three. I think he had more potential yep. than probably half of the players left on this cast. And it feels like a real yeah. loss with him gone. Unlike Bruce, Matthew has not received an open invitation to play again. And I would way rather see Matthew play than see Bruce play. Oh my God. Yeah. Because everything Matthew did not miss, except for when he missed big time by climbing that rock for no reason and falling in. You know, aside from that, he won with the uh, sweater savvy with Brandon. He played well. He rolled his dice, didn't do anything, but I thought that was a tactical, you know, play of kind of abstaining from that boat. Uh, he had the fake idol with, for the last time. We are the plant lady and the plant daddy. We had the plant lady and the plant daddy. Um, and he found an idol. He found a real one for himself. Like, he had great yes. moves throughout this entire pre-merge. And I think had he not been injured, he had real potential yeah in the post merge to to win the game but yeah it's I, fine i, I just agree. need to get over that the part that upset me too was that matthew essentially screwed over another one of my players on my fantasy team in jamie then got pulled yeah. from the game so now jamie's in a worse spot and she has this fake idol that only matthew knows is fake <laughs> only matthew knows is fake yeah his legacy will continue on in the game when jamie plays it unnecessarily and it doesn't work uh, and she'll just like look at the camera and be like, play daddy. No. Yeah. So no tribal. And, uh, yeah. Do you want to wrap it up? W L H M. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Winners or losers? Let's start with winners. Who's your winner? Uh, my winner is Josh because his ass was about to go home and it got saved by production making a decision for him. I do not think he yeah. played well at all. I think he is still a terrible liar. I wouldn't be surprised if he's voted out next episode, but Given everything that yeah. happens, he is essentially saved in this one. And when I go to make my uh, player rankings at the end of the season, my perspective on Josh will be lower because I think his game was, you know, put in a better place by something completely outside of his own control. Yeah, his time frame on the island might have been artificially extended because of this. Yeah. But when he wins, you'll have to admit that he is a sole survivor. He'll probably be a lower tier winner if he wins for yeah. me based off of this. But Josh is my winner because my logic was the same as yours. I thought you said you thought Carolyn was going home. Because I didn't think Carolyn was going home. I thought they were going to vote Carolyn and she, you could idle and send Josh. Uh, so I think I do think Josh was going home. Uh, but I think that the vote would have been 2-1 Carolyn Josh with an idle asterisk. So Josh is my winner because I did think he was going home and he did get saved. My loser for this one is Brandon. Really? Okay. I think Brandon uh, revealed to Carolyn that he plans to form the Meat Alliance at the merge, which is just a terrible move. The Meat Alliance is a great name. That's excellent. Yes. Unlike Danny, Brandon does not have an immunity idol to protect him moving forward in the game. And Brandon just lost one player that I thought he was close with in Matthew. And Matthew was a, another potential Meat Alliance member 
So I think Brandon's game as a whole went down a notch, and it's pretty common in Survivor that the merge boot is a player that others see as a physical threat. Brandon's my loser. Who's yours? Is it Carolyn? It's Carolyn. Are you serious? (laughs) For getting bullied. (laughs) It's Carolyn. Because here's what what I think. Because... Well, you're real. If you don't like this, you're not gonna like my honorable mention. Well, it's probably it's probably Brandon, and you're like, "Good job, Brandon. <laughs> Push her while she's down." I think those two are making, like, I think they read the room right. I think they will be able to do more by, frankly, weaponizing Tika's weakness. Why would you tell Tika that? They're that confident. We can play it out in the open. They're going home terrible in a game filled with this many idols and advantages do you want to tell the target that they are being targeted that's like survivor 101 that you don't tell them that you're going to vote for them i mean that's essentially what they did you know what he's a renaissance man like it's a renaissance man and a boy who can breathe right the meat alliance is full of intellectuals they're not just brawn they've got brains and i think that uh if she had won tribal right which i think she would have she would not be my loser. But because she's making it to the merge scot-free because of this, she will not be able to contain her hostility towards those two and anybody that's friendly with them. Do, do you think players won't believe her when she says that they're planning to form a meat alliance? I don't think it'll matter because I think everybody on Soka likes Danny better and I think everyone on Ratu likes Brandon better. And so I think that even though they blundered in telling her, I think that Carolyn's otherwise admirable quality of wearing her heart on her sleeve, she will not be able to play a subtle game and have small side conversations. She's a squawker, right? And she's going to squawk and that it's all going to come back on so her. So this is a predictive loser. This isn't a loser for anything she did this episode. Every time my winners and losers, I've got to factor in where they're going next. I think Josh got so lucky that he deserves the W and I think Carolyn... This metaphor is not going to be great. She's going to be a little squawking pigeon surrounded by these big muscly hawks who are flying around and they're going to eat her. That's why Carolyn's my loser. My honorable mention is uh, the meat alliance because I think that should they have been a little more subtle, I think they're going to go into a really strong position. And this is the voice of the people, right? This is coming from a point of ignorance. And had I known that typically a kind of physical threat goes out first after the merge, Would I have changed that? Maybe. But because they are such a compelling duo, they have so many other feelers out, right? Uh, Danny's got an idol. Brandon has a lot of bonds. Um, He's even got Carson at this point. They've competed together and won. Carson is a very sentimental player, and he won his first challenge standing next to Brandon. That's going to mean a lot. All of that, I think, sets them up for some serious success in this game. Do I think either of them are going to win? Absolutely not. They're big, meaty boys. Those types don't win this game very often. Uh, But they know how to breathe, and they're Renaissance men, and I think those things will pay dividends. My dishonorable is the other member of the Meat Alliance. It it is Danny. So I gave Brandon my loser and Danny my dishonorable to, to balance it out. They were both in contention for that loser spot for me. Because I think that move to leak that information to Carolyn is incredibly cocky and short-sighted. I think the information that they leaked is going to come back to bite them in the butt. The only advantage that Danny has over Brandon is that he has this idol moving forward in the game. And 
Yeah, I just want to say there's a difference between a potential bro alliance and definitive information on a bro alliance. And when one of them is voted out in the early merge, um, I will make fun of you for it because it will be a sign that Carolyn did not deserve to be the loser for just getting bullied. <laughs> that is all fair. That's everything I have. Uh, anything else? That's all I've got. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in uh, to this episode of Survivor Analytics. Uh, catch us next week where we'll cover episode six of Survivor 44. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok if you want to see our different social pages. At Survivor Analytics.